Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Matt Smith, here with the Strength Talking Shop podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition Athletics. We all know that protein is the key to muscle and recovery, and Gold Standard's best-selling 100% whey protein provides 24 grams of protein that mixes easily using just a glass and spoon. Gold Standard's 100% whey is made in their state-of-the-art facility. It's banned substance tested by Informed Choice. And Optimum Nutrition Athletics program, you can get different various items such as their Pro Gainer, which is their Mass Gainer. They have awesome protein snacks such as crisp bars, wafers, cake bites, and almonds. And after dominating the sports nutrition industry for over 30 years, newly created Optimum Nutrition Athletics brings that same trust and quality that knows how to put convenient options for protein in the hands of athletes who desire to become bigger, stronger, and better at their sport. To get this into your facility or for your athletes or for your uh, personal training facility or gym, make sure you guys reach out to Dave Harvey of Optimum Nutrition Athletics. All of his contact information is down in the show description. So make sure, again, you reach out to Dave Harvey of Optimum Nutrition Athletics. I cannot suggest um, this enough for you guys. The whey protein, uh, the casein, and the protein snacks are so awesome. They've got a lot of different products. So reach out to Dave and see how you can get this into your facility. And most importantly, thank you to Optimum Nutrition Athletics for being this week's sponsor. Our guest this week is Kyle O'Toole. Kyle O'Toole is a sports and performance specialist with the Wounded Warrior Battalion in North Carolina. He's previously worked at George Mason. Uh, we talk a lot about eccentrics in this episode. For me, it's a really great learning lesson. I didn't really know a lot about this subject. And uh, he gives a lot of great practical applications that you can use with your athletes or with your clientele. So I highly suggest you reach out to Kyle uh, for all of your, your questions in regards to all of this. So thank you, Kyle, for being this week's um, guest. Thank you to all of our past guests. Thank you to all of our future guests. Thank you to our sponsor, Optimum Nutrition Athletics. Again, we're available on YouTube as well, so you can make sure you subscribe over there. You can click in the show description if that's something you're interested in. Or if you just want to go into YouTube, you can search Strength Talking Shop Podcast. We'll have clips and full episodes up there here shortly. Again, thank you to our guest, Kyle O'Toole. Thank you to our sponsor, Optimum Nutrition Athletics. And thank you to everybody that supports this podcast. Make sure you give it that five stars on Apple Podcasts. And everybody, stay strong. What's up, guys? Strength Talking Shop Podcast. Super excited to have a great person, great man, great coach. Kyle O'Toole is assistant strength coach for the Wounded Warrior Battalion. He's also the, the head track coach uh, for them too as well, working with their track athletes. Kyle, good morning, brother. I'm super excited to have you on. Hey, man, I appreciate it. This is really cool to be on here. You've had uh, a ton of awesome guests here in the past, and uh, I'm just excited to be here and be able to, to talk some knowledge and things with you today. It's going to be really cool. Absolutely. Kyle and I, we go back and forth quite a few on the uh, the DMs on the Instagram. We, uh, We've recently been sending each other, we both got new pellet grills, so we send each other some some meat over, and I'm kind of starting to get into bow hunting, so now I found somebody that I can, you know, kind of learn some stuff from, so super pumped, man, pumped. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely, loving the bow hunting, and then, yeah, trying to get into this whole smoking meat thing, yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's a science, brother, I, I'm excited, you, you keep learning every single time with each meat, it's, it's pretty fun, man. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like strength and conditioning. It's like at first you're like, eh, I don't really know. And then you're like, okay, I found my wheelhouse. I found where I'm at. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so cool, you know, again, we have been sending stuff back and forth, uh, you know, and we were just talking about how, you know, last week I sent you some pics of some stuff that, you know, I ended up smoking and I'm really hoping I hit that new level because I almost feel like I'll kick my coverage in a way. You know, the <laughs> wife was really enjoying it. So I'm, I'm hoping I can replicate that. And just like you said, you related to strength and conditioning. You want to get better and then be able to replicate it. So I've, yeah, man, we'll see how it goes. Nothing better than having that per- perfect meat come out of that freaking smoker, man. It's freaking awesome. But absolutely. You know, listeners, um, you know, why don't you give them a rundown, kind of your background, how you got started into this madness of what is, uh, you know, physical preparation and everything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been in this industry now, uh, I guess about five, six years, uh, still fairly new and I absolutely love it. I got out of the Marine Corps and my wife and I moved to Virginia where I went to George Mason University, got my undergraduate degree there, then my master's degree. And through the undergrad program, I started volunteering with the strength and conditioning staff there. They got an amazing staff there. Andy and John, who, you know, you've had, you know, Todd Hammeron in the past who has talked about, they're still there doing their thing, a great program there. And I just kind of lit the fire for me, truly. Uh, it was something, you know, that I was like absolutely passionate about, knew I wanted to do. And, you know, volunteering the time there, it just sort of took off. Some time went by and a position opened up and I jumped on it and said, let's do it. So spent a few years at George Mason with them, learned a lot, met a lot of great people. And yeah, like you just kind of said, I just recently moved on. My wife and I moved down here in North Carolina, sunny North Carolina, loving it. Yeah. And, uh, I'm down here now working, like you said, as the assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Wounded Warrior Battalion, and then also as the the head track coach for sprinters and and long distance alike. Man, that's awesome. What was the biggest lesson you took uh, when you first kind of started into the, did you kind of, did you kind of know what to expect when you first got into it? Because I think a lot of us, we don't, for me personally, I had no idea what what to expect when you kind of got in there. What's some of the biggest lessons you got right there from the from the beginning there, George Mason. So honestly, one of the biggest message uh, messages I, I got was actually really had nothing to do with programming or being intricate and all this stuff. It was actually just don't take yourself too seriously with what you're doing. You know, at, at the end of the day, the process itself is is really just doing doing the things that are generally simple over and over again and teaching correct movement patterns and things like that. But yeah, try not to be the smartest person in the room. Truly is really what it comes down to. Take the job seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Make those connections with the athletes and everything else just sort of works its way out, man. And and it's cool to see the process unfold. So yeah, I think the biggest thing I initially took from getting involved with collegiate athletics was, yeah, don't take yourself too seriously because you're, you're not going to enjoy what you do when you start doing that. You got to enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I found things that when you run it simply, you just keep it simple, man. Everything mm-hmm. kind of runs itself too as well. And it makes your job easier because and two at the end of the day, you put the athletes in the best position for it. And that's why we're here, right? Absolutely. It is all about them. It's, it's not about me. Yeah. It's all about them and seeing them hit goals and reach milestones that 
they themselves may not have even thought they could hit. I mean, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you when you when you talk to an athlete after like maybe a training cycle or after maybe you've had them for a couple of years and you look at like the growth that they had as a not only in the weight room but as a human being too. Like that's super important. And I I can't stress that enough to people is like just keeping it simple like you said, and not having to be the, the smartest guy in the room or the smartest girl in the room. I know that's hard to do sometimes where you want to kind of speak up, but I found for myself personally, and this is one thing I've loved with the podcast is when I sit back and listen and you just soak in all that information, man, you get a little bit better. Yeah, you absolutely do. I think it's, it's advice I got when I was doing, you know, like anybody in this field, I've have done multiple internships over the years. And I was down in North Carolina at the time working with Mike Young. If anybody knows him, he's down in Raleigh, North Carolina, Cary area, works with his athletic lab. And then he works with the North Carolina Courage and NCFC, so two different pro soccer clubs. And you, you go in first day to his internship and he says one thing to you that, that has kind of stuck with me even now. And, you know, he kind of says, you know, to get the most out of this internship or really any experience over time, one good thing you probably want to do is listen more and talk less. And I think if you just take that for what it's worth, kind of like you said, sit back, see what unfolds you learn a lot real quickly. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So I want to, we have a topic here that you want to dive in a little bit that for me, I think is, we talked a little bit before the podcast. I think it's a a very important topic for people to, to understand. And it's something again, simple that you can put into your program and, and, and to learn about. So it's eccentric contractions. And you want to talk about that. So kind of give the listeners, you know, you know, everything in regards to that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, eccentric strength or eccentric contractions and and how they fit in to a regular strength and conditioning program. And I think eccentric strength in general is important because it is not only improving athletic abilities, you know, speed, your force production, strength as well too. You know, you're, you're teaching an athlete to, to get stronger and have, be able to f- produce force rapidly, but it's also key in when we talk about like susceptibility to injuries, specifically when you go into talking about the hamstring muscle. Again, the majority of my time where I'm at now and where I've been prior has been with track and field athletes. So I do spend a lot of time training sprinters, you know, training middle distance, training long distance, and hamstring susceptibility as far as injury goes is a huge concern. And the hamstring itself, just in general, kind of lay the foundation, is a biarticular muscle, just simply meaning that it crosses two joints, the hip and the knee, all the muscles except for the short arm for the bicep femoris. And what you see when you have biarticular muscle and you talk about eccentric training, you see instant uh, gains or, or increases in joint stability and then the ability to produce force more rapidly 
up and down that muscle, specifically in articular muscle. So that's why it's, it's a huge or, or important training tool, I feel, because again, you're getting everything that you could possibly want to get and see as a strength and conditioning coach because you see decreases in the likeliness of injury in this muscle. And then you're getting these enhancements to performance that could potentially lead an athlete to, again, be bigger, faster, stronger, whatever you know, your goal is or your intent is. And yeah, to kind of talk about eccentric strength, again, everybody knows eccentric contractions are the ability of our muscles to be under tension but lengthen. I think of it as our ability to yield or resist force. Mm -hmm. Eccentrically, we're resisting force, whereas concentrically, we're actually overcoming forces on the body. So use the squat, everybody squats, that, that coming down portion, that's our eccentric action. And what you see is we are actually stronger eccentrically in that ability to come down and resist that force than we are concentrically, which is our ability to stand back up right. with that weight. A lot of research is, is out there about it, depending on the type of contraction and you know, the joint angle or, or the specific joint, you're anywhere from 60 to 200% stronger eccentrically than you are concentrically. And I know, me personally, when I first heard that as a coach and then looked it up to verify that it was correct and, and actually saw it repeated in the literature, I was like, oh, snap. Like, like you instantly start to see and understand, oh wow, like, like we're, we're leaving things on the table if, if the focus of our training sessions is primarily concentric based, which is what we see in, in a bulk of, of training programs. The focus is on concentric movements, not necessarily on eccentric. And yeah, I think that kind of lays a good foundation as far as like what eccentric strength is and, and really why it's important. There's a slew of benefits you get from it, but, but yeah, we are stronger as humans eccentrically than we are concentrically. And the belief is, you know, we, we have to get to a point. So there is, you know, a progression or a continuum or whatever, where we try and train eccentric strength to the point that we are working with weights that are above our concentric one rep max. And when we finally get to that point, then what we're actually doing is we're training at the peak of that eccentric curve, so to speak. Um, we're, we're training, you know, overload maximal eccentrics, which is depending on the athlete and the sport, it is a primary goal. So hopefully that all made sense. No, that makes total sense to me, and those are some crazy numbers that I never even heard of. Like, that's something that I definitely – I'm going to dive a little bit more into myself. Um, yeah, definitely. What have you kind of found with your experience of working this into your, into your training? Um, what's it, what, what have you kind of had happen, and what have you seen with the application of it? Yeah, so eccentric strength, again, is probably most vital for – your speed and power athletes. Now, you see a lot of eccentrics in the bodybuilding community as well. And they, that is perfect um, because another benefit to eccentric training, if it is done in a different way, so it's spun up a little differently, 
you see increases to muscle hypertrophy. So, so you're gonna see the increases in that cross-sectional area. So that's a benefit as well too. But what I've seen primarily on the speed and power development side of things is injuries decrease in sprinters when we regularly introduce eccentrics beginning of the season and we constantly implement doses of it throughout the year. Okay. And one thing I, I talked to a lot of other coaches about is they'll always ask, when are you doing eccentric training? My answer is, when are we lifting? You know, uh, George Mason, um, you know, depending on the, the team, they're coming in anywhere from two to four days a week. And I have pretty much the same schedule now at the Wounded Warrior Battalion, two to four days a week, depending on, on what the Marines have going on. And I could honestly say in those two to four days, we're doing one to two days of work where we have a total of one to three exercises that have an eccentric focus or an isometric focus, which leads into eccentric training. And that doesn't change. I think if you get regular doses of an eccentric stimulus, you, your body adapts to that, its ability to actually get over sort of that sort of delayed onset muscle soreness, which everybody experiences. But if you don't regularly introduce that to the body, then your body can't actually applicably deal with that stress. So yeah, when, when are we lifting is essentially my answer to that, because there's going to be some sort of isometric or eccentric focus almost every single day that they come in. And we do that for, again, increasing muscle size, if that's the, what we're doing in that phase of training, or if we're trying to increase joint stability or you know, dynamic stabilization, and we're trying to get them stronger or faster, it's gonna be there for sure. One thing that you just talked about too was the muscle strengthening and the muscle size. So my experience with eccentric training is you're going to get the athlete bigger, which I don't know of an athlete that doesn't need to get bigger. So I think that is a right there. Boom. That's a big one. And number two, the joint stability that you just talked about, because we're, everybody's always worried about soft tissue injuries. Look at what's going on right now in pro sports right now without a proper ramp up period There's soft tissues everywhere. I think that's important. And if you look at just those two things alone, tell me what athlete doesn't need joint stability and that muscle size. Every athlete needs that. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it, I'm really glad you brought this up as far as the muscle size because one thing, this is sort of the, pe people will use this as, as a detriment sometimes to eccentric training to try and, I, I guess, call it off or back off from it, is, is this idea that it will, again, in, increase muscle size over time, but when you talk about a sport like bodybuilding, again, they're implementing it in a specific way that is different than I would implement it with a sprinter, you know, because yeah. with sprinting, again, especially as you are getting at higher levels, you know, you don't want increases in, in mass, in your body mass, that could potentially slow you down. So that, that is a factor, but I can tell you from, you know, my experiences and then even from who i learned this from that if it is being implemented properly specifically for 
that sprinter or that speed and power athlete, you're not going to see increases in muscle mass and you're not going to see increases in body mass as long as that athlete isn't over consuming calories. Right. What you're gonna see instead is the increase in rate of force development um, and you're gonna get those increased rates of peak force development once you get above that, that concentric 1RM threshold. Yeah. And you see that all the time with athletes, whenever they're coming back from injuries, especially lower body injuries, even upper body, they're always working on the eccentrics. You know, I've worked with tons of different power lifters here recently that are maybe coming back from stuff. And that's the first thing that they start working on is maybe they've had a hamstring pull. They start doing slow RDL. So they just eccentrically go down for so many seconds, yeah. you know? And I think it's why let's be proactive instead of reactive. That's my thought process when I first saw that. Absolutely. And I think you just made any athletic trainer out there smile right now <laughs> with that. Um, because again, at George Mason, you know, I can speak from my ex experience of time there. They did a great job of when you would have in, we had very few, <clears throat> excuse me, we had very few, you know, hamstring injuries when I was there, but when there, there was one that would come on or something would happen, they were very quick to, again, like you said, implement eccentrics into this because like you kind of were saying earlier, you see increases in the, the strength of those passive tissues, the tendons and the ligaments. That's what actually gets stronger when you do more of those submaximal eccentrics at that slower velocity. And then as that velocity of movement only increases, that's when you start to see more of that power development as well too so well i think this would be something that would be really interesting to look into especially for those that maybe because uh, you know, obviously with the quarantine everything that happened this would be a good way to kind of implement people back into the weight room i was recently looking at like, kind of like what i was doing getting back into lifting here the last month and i looked at it i'm like i'm doing a lot more because uh, you and i've been talking about this topic i've been doing a yeah. lot more eccentrics than i even think about and I think it helps with, you just talked about tendon strength too as well, and getting back into the weight room and getting back to play. I, I wonder how that this would, I find it interesting, man. I think it's something that you could really play around with and again, being proactive instead of reactive. Absolutely, yeah. And eccentrics are great because you hit the nail on the head there. You don't need a lot of weight. You can do body weight eccentrics. Right. You know, Nordic hamstrings for, for hamstring strength, Ooh. eccentrically. And ask, exactly. And if you've never done one, you know, look up a video on YouTube and check that out. Those things are no joke, you know. Um, but yeah, you don't need a lot of weight. You don't necessarily need fancy equipment per se. You know, and then you do see some flywheel training out there and weight releasers, which again, for the bulk of, of the athletes that you work with, unless you're getting to, to a, a much higher, like elite level, that's when you start to see those implements coming through. Because again, you, you have to, to make it more of a focus of their training. Again, it's just, it is the, is the juice worth the squeeze at that point. You're going to have to put a lot of work into them because they are, you know, so far up there genetically and even just in their training age, et cetera. So yeah, but you don't need crazy fancy equipment. You know, you can have bodyweight exercises that you're doing with that. And 
you just sort of learn to follow this continuum and we could kind of maybe go into that a little bit because the belief is when you're looking at a, a true max eccentric training or, or eccentric contraction rather what you're actually witnessing or seeing or, or feeling as the athlete is a failed isometric contraction that's that's essentially what you have so there is a continuum or, or, or a, a standard progression that you know you should probably follow and that involves doing submaximal isometric exercises where you know you see pauses at different levels of a squat or a bench again any exercise you can do eccentrics with you see short pauses and then from there you progress into what's more like dynamic isometric exercises where now you're teaching the body or one segment of the body to stabilize while another segment of the body yeah. performs an action at a little higher rate than maybe they were doing submaximally and maybe with less of a pause so if you think of we said it earlier you know nordic hamstrings where we stay stable at the hip but we have the, the hamstring you know, with that knee joint down and up like that and there's a lot of ways that you can add variations to that you can change the hip angle you can decrease or increase the the knee angle as well too as far as how far you come down uh, you can do this with back extensions then on the flip end where we're now stable through the hamstring and then the flexion actually comes at the hip. So, I mean, the, it, it's all out there, you know, right. it's just a matter of really trying to just figure out what's going to do what and why. And I promise you, like, it's not easy. I'm not a smart guy by any means. If I can figure this out, I guarantee you anybody else can. And you know, you build on that then. So you've done the submaximal work, you have this dynamic work, which sort of works into your maximal isometrics then. And I think this is like the peak phase isometrically where again, you start to see isometrics that will then lead into doing actually eccentric training. And when you have max isometrics, this is where you're doing a lot of like those pin presses toward the end range of motion. So again, we'll use the squat because we've been talking about that. You, you set up pins in a squat rack, a couple inches apart, an inch apart, whatever, and what you're doing is you're, you're having an athlete almost be fully extended at the hip and knees, so they're, so they're near their end range of motion, and they're trying to, to finish the lift, but what they're doing is they're, they're finishing into an immovable object that they cannot actually overcome, and by doing that for, you know, so many seconds, um, believe you know depending on the literature you're going to see four to seven seconds for those presses um you see you have a huge amount of cns fatigue that comes with that but yeah. then you, you're working that high and isometric and then that then gradually leads into your your submaximal centrics where a bulk of the training could occur and then those submaximal centrics lead into your maximal or, or, or accentuated eccentric training Man, that's super interesting. That's something that me personally on my end, I've, I've never really had a ton of experience with the isometrics because I just, to me, it's always been kind of something that's kind of a pitfall of mine. But now that you've mm -hmm. said that, especially when you talked about the stabilization and then you're doing the dynamic work at the end, I think of like an athlete cutting on the field. He's got to exactly. be stable. That's what it made me first think of. I'm like, okay, it kind of clicked right there. There's a light bulb. So I yeah. well, kind of caught that little nugget right there where it's like, okay, Everybody always talks about sports specific stuff. Well, 
we never do anything sports specific in the weight room. It's lifting is what's going to be sports specific. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, and I know I've, I've always talk about sprinting or running or running economy because that is my background. You know, you, you just hit the nail on the head again, second time here you've done this. <laughs> so strength, power, they're movement specific. So go back to the injury stuff for, for a second. What you see in the hamstrings when we're, we're talking about runners in any capacity is the bulk of the injuries are going to occur for them at the, the later portion of their swimming phase. So if you think about a, you know, a sprinter, the, the hip is flexed, that knee is flexed, right? They're in that good uh, swing position. And then as they go to extend that knee out and drive and make that foot contact to go into the stance phase, what you see is an eccentric contraction in the hamstring. And that's where the, through that phase before contact is where you see a bulk of the injuries occur in, uh, in hamstring, the sprinters, because that's such a high velocity movement. I mean, right. you can't get any more maximal intent as far as sprint training than actually sprinting. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. if, uh, yeah, and if you're not, doing things in the weight room to increase and develop those muscles specifically for that technique or for what they're going to experience on the track, then the likelihood that injuries could come only goes up. You're not doing anything to help that. You're doing them a disservice then, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And you've done something that I, I've, I've noticed here recently with a lot of great coaches, and I'm not saying you're a bad coach, you don't do this. You've re reverse engineered what your athletes experienced on the, on the field. So reversing exactly what the sport is and where can we find those ways of, of getting into the weight room with our basic movements? Absolutely, yeah. It's, I don't know, it's not really sneaky. You know, again, you, you hit on the whole thing about like sports specificity and, you know, I'm, I'm a true believer in not turning the weight room into the field of play or yes. in my case, the track. But again, how can we prepare the joints and those passive tissues, mainly tendons and ligaments to withstand the intensities that they're going to see on their field of play or on their track. And yeah, that's where that reverse engineering goes. And again, I'm not a crazy smart guy by any means. I promise it just, have that good eye. Go out as a coach, and I can tell you, I've done this in the past, and I continue to do it now. Go out and watch your athletes, regardless of sport, not only compete, but practice as well, too. Right, Look, yeah. And, and actually visually start to connect, you know, as far as biomechanics go, what they're actually doing. And I think when you, you know, you you develop that eye. It's like anything else. If you, if you do it enough times, you're going to slowly get better at it. If you have the ability to go out and do it with somebody who knows more than you do that as well too. Exactly. But once you start to actually see them compete, not only one, are you showing your support as a coach, the athletes love it that you're out there, that you're putting in your, your time, you know, into actually watching them compete and you're seeing the product that they're displaying but you were also training yourself in a way because again, 
you start to see the movements that are happening out there and you start to develop your own analysis of the sport. And again, that whole slew of training energy systems, you know, look at the biomechanics, the kinesthetics, whatever, you name it. It's, it's all out there for you. You just got to go out there and find it. And then, yeah, figure out how you can make it a little better in the weight room. I, I, that is absolutely amazing advice, man. It's, it's just, it comes with experience and time too, of getting that coaching eye. Like you and I both have experienced this. The first time you see an athlete squat, you're like, okay, it looked all right. But then your mentors above you, like there was like 55 things that were wrong there. Can you, <laughs> and you didn't spot one of them. You know what I mean? So it just takes time to get that coaching eye, but it's important that you go out, you watch and you just keep learning, keep looking at the little things and it'll come to you. I know that happened to me. I remember, I'll never forget one time I was watching um, our baseball players play. And I'm like, I'm just watching the game because I enjoy watching baseball. But then I started mm-hmm. to see little things where I'm like, okay, that maybe is a little more optimal if we did this in the weight room with them versus this. It just takes time. That's great advice, yeah. man. I love that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. It just, again, personally, I know that has helped me a lot is yeah truly going out and watching them compete and i've dealt with a a plethora of sports especially in the college setting but i love watching them go out i love watching them go out and compete again because you're building a better relationship with them but you're also making yourself better to more adequately be there for them in the long run yeah definitely well i'm sure that's super important now with with your new role uh, working with with your new with your new teams and everything like that, there with the Wounded Warriors, man. I bet that I mean that's huge to where you have to understand what they're going through on a on a day to day basis and the stressors and everything like that. So it just bleeds into everything. Yeah, it is. This is definitely a very unique experience for me. So it's I feel extremely grateful to have the opportunity to go there and do what I'm doing with them now and also work with the staff that's in place there because I am getting an entirely new perspective on this sport performance or or human performance realm. You know, I'm coming from a collegiate setting where you're working with people who are physically fit, you know, generally extremely physically fit and healthy by pretty much all standards to working with a population who there could be a multitude of people who have different impairments walking into that weight room every single day. You know, you have people who, who could be missing limbs and are, and are wearing prosthetics, or you have people with TBI, or you've got people coming in with cancer diagnosis, or whatever the case may be. It's a whole new realm to try and, you know, put yourself into, and then again, try and learn. What can I do? do for them that's going to best help them get to where they need to be because they all have different goals there the battalion i just give like a brief rundown so battalion so it's it's the east coast battalion for east coast marines and they can hold i believe up to about 250 marines give or take and essentially what what you're seeing when they come there is there there's a few end games for them one is they're going to to medically retire so they go through a rehabilitation program and then they come through the strength training program and then they get, you know, medically separated okay. and, you know, they try and take care of them the best that they can. Then you have a portion of people who go through that rehabilitation process and then come to us 
and are trying to work back to getting to active duty again, to essentially do the same job that they were doing prior to their incident. Okay. Or a third one you'll see is the rehabilitation come to us for the strength training and, and the, the movement competency, and then compete in these Marine Corps trials or the Invictus Games or the Paralympics or again, every branch of service has, you know, throughout the year when COVID's not around, you know, they're competing against one another. There's, there's multiple, I truly, I don't even know how many there are a year. I want to say honestly, like six to seven, Whoa. probably more than that. So they're finishing out their enlistments or their contracts with the military but they're doing it in a different way to where they're actually competing and also trying to raise awareness for what's going on as well too. So again, three different end games there and you're already working with so many Im impairments that are coming in through the door. You, you run the gambit as far as how you can best help them. So anything I can do to make their experience there better. And again, get them to reach their goals. That's what it's all about. Exactly. That's the true tale of a great coach, man. Getting the athlete in the best uh, situation that you possibly can mm -hmm. and, and send that ego to the side, man. I absolutely love it. That's great stuff, brother. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah. If people want to reach out to you, um, if you know, how can they get in contact with you as we wind down? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I primarily just use Instagram as far as, you know, social media goes, and that is truly the best way to contact me. My email's on there as well, too, if you're more comfortable given that. But on Instagram, um, coach.kyleotoole, A-Y-L-E-O-T-O-O-L-E, and it's, it's a professional page. Uh, I really love talking about this stuff, geeking out, you know, talking shop, and yeah, if anybody's got questions, comments, concerns, whether you agree with anything I say or not, hey, bring them my way. I love just creating that dialogue and then, yeah, just trying to help people get better, man. That's what it's all about. So that's the best way to contact me, truly. Perfect. Well, I know personally on my end, I love Kyle's page because he puts up a lot of great information. But then, too, he's put up some really great IGTVs where he talks with a, a ton of great track athletes. And then personally, I love that you've had articles I know on uh, the NSCA too as well. Um, I think you got a, a lot of great information out there, brother. So if anybody, all of it will be down in the show notes for sure, but definitely reach out to Kyle. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And Matt, this was so cool, man. I love this. Again, I love what you're doing. Congrats on, you know, the sponsorship and Dude, you, you're a regular rotation on my podcast, man. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. This was a lot of fun. And do your thing, man. Best I, of luck with the new house, too. I, hey, you too, brother. I appreciate it, Kyle. I know you're doing great things out there in North Carolina um, for the Winter Warrior Battalion, man. It's awesome, man. And number two, real quick before we wind down, too, as well, what, what else do you listen to? What do you read? What helps you become, you know, not only a better coach, but also a better husband, a better man? Ah, awesome. I love that question. So yeah, I, I do, uh, I'm a big audiobook and podcast guy. Uh, my, my drive is about 45 minutes to get to and from work. So I've got the time throughout the day for sure. So one podcast that I listen to, uh, again, part of my regular rotation is 
Um, Greg Everett does his uh, weightlifting podcast, Weightlifting Life, I believe it's called. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge proponent for weightlifting, uh, Olympic weightlifting, uh, as far as um, a, tra a training tool to use. Again, speed and power athletes kind of make sense. So I listen to that a lot. I am reading a book right now, almost done actually. Uh, it's called Outliers. I believe his name is Gregory Caldwell. Highly recommend that book. It just gives you a perspective on people um, who in, in their industries are doing great things for others. And I think that's really interesting. And then trying to think, there's tons more. I, I, I read a lot too. Um, your typical books that you see out there, pretty much anything as far as sports performance development by Tudor Bompa, I would highly recommend. I've got a few of his books and I'm going through right now as well because, you know, we're, this is funny. We're talking about eccentric training right now, but I'm, I'm reading through some of triphasic training. I'm not going, you know, front to back, but th there's, there's some aspects to it that I think are, could really take away and help me where I'm at now. So it, it's been a few years since I've, I've digested that book. So I'm, I'm going back through that now too. And I love as far as, uh, you know, when I'm lifting myself, um, I love just jamming out. So Jim Fail Nation on Instagram has an awesome Spotify playlist. Yeah. It's a mix of like rap and like hard, heavy rock. I highly recommend it, man. I just throw that on and I let them do their thing. It's really cool. I love it, man. Bringing the juice in the weight room himself. I love that, man. Well, Kyle, again, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and sharing all this great information. Um, I can't, like I said, can't thank you enough, brother. Thank you. Again, this was so cool, Matt. Best of luck with everything you're doing. And to everybody else, just, hey, keep getting after it day by day. Go get Ab it. Absolutely, man. Well, everybody, make sure you reach out to Kyle. Uh, he's a great coach. Um, he's doing a lot of great things, you know, over there with the Wounded Warrior Battalion. Um, so everybody, make sure you reach out to him. All this information is in the show notes. Stay strong.